0: So a general principle in life um, that you probably understand really well, especially those of you in the business world, is in order to do something big, you've got to accomplish something small first. Um, we we start small, and then eventually, after doing a bunch of small things, things get a little bit bigger, and we have the opportunity to do a little bit larger things throughout life. I mean, consider the fact that just a couple blocks away uh, this evening is the NBA All Star Game. I mean, by the way, that's just so cool. Um, whenever the all-stars came to the town I moved here from it was like the rodeo clown all-stars like this is this is huge uh, to see you know players like this on this high level but every single one of these guys to make the all-star game had to had to accomplish and do something really small first. So, you know, they had to, they had to make buckets when they were, um, you know, in peewee basketball. They had to make the all-star team um, at that lower level. They had to move on and, and do something a little bit larger at a high school level than a collegiate level than at the level that they're at right now. To, to get to something big, to accomplish something big, you have to start and accomplish something I think Jesus taught us a little bit about that, and it was kind of a biblical principle as well. He who's faithful with a little will be given much. So to get to something big, you have to start and accomplish something well, small first. To, to get to something far, you've got to accomplish and deal with what's near really well first. And here's where I'm going with this as we step into the book of Philippians together this morning. I think God wants to, us as a church to reach our city. And beyond that, I think God wants us to reach this world for Jesus Christ. I mean, I think that's what the Great Commission is. I think that's what Jesus wants us to do. But in order for us to accomplish something big, such as reaching a city and reaching a world, we've got to start small. If we're going to love this city for Jesus Christ, we have to love that which is closest to us really, really well. I mean, this, is, this is the case in, in your own relationships. In, in order to be a really good parent, in order to be a really good dad or mom, in order to love your kids well, you have to love what is closest to you really well. You got to love your spouse well. The best thing that we can do, we can't really love our kids really well unless we love our spouses well. And I think that goes on with, with so many other relationships. And so in order to love your neighbor, well, you've, gotta, you've really got to understand what it looks like to really love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. We've got we to love near, love small, before we can love big. Just as like in order for us to get to something big, we've got to accomplish that which is closest, that which is before us, that which is small. So as we come to the Philippians, written by a guy named the Apostle Paul who loved big, who really reached the world for Jesus Christ, was all over the world, did incredible, mighty things for the Lord. But as he writes these letters, and particularly as he writes the book of Philippians, we see that Paul, not only did he just love the world really well and love the Ross really well and reach them, he also loved those who were closest to him really well. The ones that God had put nearest to him, he loved them really well. Every letter that Paul writes, he expresses at the beginning of that letter his relationship and his love for the church that he's writing to. He had a personal relationship, he had a deep relationship, and what we find is that those relationships enabled him, strengthened him, were the base point for him to be able to love the rest of the world, love the lost world so well because he loved them really well. So really, where I wanna bring you to this morning as we dive into the book of Philippians together and begin a new series together this morning is to start at home. So I think before that we 're going to be before we're going to be able to reach our city before we 're going to be able to reach our world before we 're going to be going to be able to love them well we 've got to learn to love our church well that's where Paul began, and I think that's where we need to begin to love our church well, so what do you love about your church is where we 'll take this question next. What do you love about your church? if we were to poll you and if we were to send a sheet of paper around and have you write something down, we'd probably come up with a bunch of different answers because there's all sorts of different things that we love about our church and so forth. In fact, it's been really funny as we've come into a new church, things that we didn't experience before, things that were different, things to see that, that you value, that we value and that are different and all that kind of stuff. Churches, what, what, there's a thousand opinions about what a good church is and what a good church ought to be like. And I bet if we were to ask you, we'd come up with a lot of different things that you love about your church. Um, I went to a couple Sunday school classrooms this morning. One of the things I always loved about the church that I grew up on is there was always breakfast in the Sunday school classrooms. And I didn't find any breakfast in the cl- Sunday school classrooms this morning. So I'm working on that and so forth. I mean, it'd be okay if you brought me some Krispy Kreme or something like that. Uh, I'll love you more. There's the different things that we love about, about our church. Well, as Paul steps into the book of Philippians, he expresses his love for this church. And I think what he gives us in the first few verses is what we really ought to love about our church, about your church. I think sometimes we love the wrong things. We love unnecessary things. We love things that really it doesn't matter whether we love them or not. Paul shows us what we really ought to love about what is closest to us, about our home base. about our church. So, draw your attention to Philippians chapter 1, if you would. Stay in honor of God's Word, and we're going to begin reading in verse 3 uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to go through verse 7 uh, this morning as we step off into this series, Love Well. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You can be seated. It is clear It's obvious, not just in this book, not in just this letter, but in in all of Paul's letter that Paul loved the church, and particularly here that Paul loved this church. In fact, look how he expresses that love in verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, in every prayer of mine, because uh, for you, for making my prayer with joy. Paul Paul loved these people. I mean, he talks about how he th- he's grateful for them. There's gratitude that Paul has for them. In all remembrance, so they're constantly coming up into Paul's mind. It's not something when he forgot about, he loved them, and so they came up to his mind often. When they came up to his mind, there was a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving for what this church meant to him and what this church did for him. He says, always in every prayer of mine. like They were constantly in Paul's prayer. As Paul prayed, Somewhere in that prayer as he was talking to God would come up the church of Philippi. He would pray for them and it would be done with a sense of joy. So he couldn't help thinking of them without joy. He loved the church. There were constant memories. There was a constant thankfulness and a constant joy that this church brought to him. Hey, I think that's the way that we ought to be able to think of each other. The way that we feel about each other that there's a sense of gratitude for each other, that there's a sense of remembrance, like we remember good things. That the things when we think of our church come to mind are are like really, really sweet. They give us joy, that we're constantly praying for each other, that there's a sense of love. And then in verse 5, Paul begins to explain why he loves this church. What it is about this church That he loves. And I want to propose to you this morning as we look at this, this is what you and I ought to love about our church. This is it. I think sometimes we love the wrong things, and Paul gives us here the right things, the things we ought to cherish and value. The things that bring the joy, that bring the remembrance, that bring the prayer, that bring the gratitude ought to be the things that Paul mentions here in verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7, that we love well about our church. And the first thing is this, Paul loved the partnership in the gospel that he had with these people. Notice in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now now this word partnership or fellowship was a word that Paul uses very frequently in fact it's kind of a word that's unique to him this word fellowship or partnership is a word that Paul uses kind of unique to any other gospel writer and new testament writer it's a word that speaks of a tangible joining an intimate a wholehearted active participation see Paul felt like his journey in serving god and walking with him and doing all this stuff that God did through him wasn't a journey he was taking alone. It was a journey that he was linked up with other people in. It was a journey, it was a mission that, that he wasn't by himself in. He was partnered. He was linked. He was wholeheartedly intimate with other believers in doing what God had called him to do. And so he speaks of here this partnership, this fellowship This word could also be used for marriage that he had with these people. And there was a link, there was a common ground, there was something that pulled them together. What was that? Paul explains it, the gospel of Christ. The partnership in the gospel. Something brought him and this church close together. Something linked them. Something made the relationship possible. The gospel. You and I need to understand that what brings us together, what makes us a church is not the denomination that is between first and church. It's not the location. It's not the makeup of the people or the type of people What makes us a church is one and only thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That makes us a church. Every single one of us are here and every single one of us are in this place gathered together because ultimately when you boil it down, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is what draws us together. It's the one thing above all things that we have in common. The gospel. Jesus saved us. It's not style, it's not location, it's not time, it's not what sort of building or what sort of ministries, it's not our background. What draws us together, what unites us together, what brings us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what brings us together, this environment that is created by the gospel that brings us to the table together. is also our purpose, our mission, and our reason. What Paul is saying to this church when he says this partnership in the gospel is that it's what brought them together. It's, it's this link. It's this common ground that they had. That's why he says uh, from the first day, but also until now. This bond, this gospel brought them together and this gospel kept them together it's a partnership that began in the gospel brought them together but it's the same partnership here years down the road decades down the road mission trips down the road lots of different water under the bridge down the road it was the gospel that kept them together so as a pastor there's a lot of opportunities i've been given and have to to give marriage counseling and that always really scares me um uh, marriage counseling because, I mean, you've got, you got the, the most beautiful, crucial thing and people coming to you uh, for advice like, like fix this. And, and I'm not exactly a mechanic and sometimes the problems are, are really, really, really intense and so forth and so on. But pressing through by the grace of God, do that. One of my favorite kinds of counseling that I do for couples is premarital counseling. I'm kind of a big proponent, like if you can start it right and if you can get off on the right foot, maybe it'll help you down the road and I won't see you again down the road uh, in, in counseling if we can get this thing started right. One of the things that I always tell couples, in fact, this is for free. Those of you that are couples in this room, I'm gonna tell you this, this is for free. You can have some counseling from me this morning, all right? What brings you together keeps you together. What brings you, and I always tell a couple this, what brings you to the marriage altar, what brings you into marriage, what what makes you dumb enough to think that you're going to link your life with this person is what? Love. Love is what brings every couple to an altar to get married. I've not met any couples through the years that I've done weddings for that were like, "Ah, we think we love each other. We might love each other. We're just going to go do it anyway. No. They're like nuts in love with each other. They're like crazy in love with each other. In fact, I've had couples say, you don't understand love, Pastor. We have love like no one else has ever had love before. All right. You guys are madly, crazily in love. And that sort of love is like what makes them make a commitment, not just like we're in this thing for five years. We think we'll get five, ten years out of this thing. No, every couple that comes is convinced because of their love for each other that this thing's going to last for a lifetime. They're going to sign up for this a lifetime. They're willing to risk it all, a link, and do all this stuff for on and on and on. They're going to build a life and build a future based upon that love. But what a couple needs to understand, and what maybe some of you need to understand, that what keeps a marriage healthy, what keeps a marriage growing, is the same thing that started the marriage. Love. That through your marriage, if it's going to be successful, if it's going to be lifelong, if it's going to endure the trials of life and the difficulty that come, if it's going to survive teenage years, Like your marriage needs the same thing that your marriage started with a growing, real, deep love. And listen, for us as a church, it's no different. What brings us together is the gospel. And what keeps us united, what keeps us together, what keeps us thriving and growing and moving and being and making a difference in this world, making a difference in this city, making a difference around us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what brought us together. But listen, it's also our mission. It's what we're about. When you boil it down, we are a people who are about the very thing that brought us together to get that gospel to people outside. Bottom line, it's not about you and me. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our wants. It's not about our desires. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We are brought together for the gospel. We are about the gospel. We are a gospel people. This is not a club, it's not a restaurant. It's not a school. It is a partnership. We exist to link together, to work together, to live together, to worship together, to do what we do together for the purpose of the gospel, to get the gospel to those that don't have it. Once you didn't have it. You got by the work of a church in your life and now you're partnered with it. To be part of getting it to someone else. It matters that you are here. It matters that you give. It matters that you sacrifice. It matters that you serve. Because you are part of that partnership. Let me tell you something. If you are looking from your church what's in it for me, then you will always come up short and we will fail you. Because it is not about you or me. It's a partnership. It's about the mission. It's about the gospel that brings us together. When our love for a church is more about what we get from it rather than what others get from it, we have a problem. That may be the problem of many churches today. That may be the problem that there is within this church. That we aren't loving and focused on the right thing. Because when a church is purposed, when a church is purposed around preferences, when a church is trying to meet everybody's wants and desires, like we want to make you happy when we want to give something that you would enjoy, that you would like, and when it's about our preferences, guess what happens? The church is split in a thousand different directions because here's the deal. We all have different preferences. I don't like the same music you like. I don't like the same temperature you like. I don't like the same food that you like. I don't like the same fel- Like we're all different. Like we all have different preferences and different backgrounds and different things that we think it ought to be and I would really like this. Well, when a church gets focuses on the preferences rather than the purpose we got nothing. We're going to split and break down because we can't do that. We weren't made to do that. We were made to be a partnership around one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the church understands who it is and what it's to be about, a partnership about the gospel and getting the gospel, we're headed towards not a thousand things. We're headed towards one thing. Amen. That's when God really uses us. When we focus on getting the gospel to those that God's put us with and put us around. Let's just time out. Like, look at the opportunity we have before us for Charlotte. God's put us in a very unique place right here. You draw a three-mile circle around right here. There's 110,000 people. God put us here, has us here for the purpose of partnering together to get the gospel to them first. To take it there. Nobody else has the same inner three-mile radius. 110,000 people right there. That's pretty big. Nobody else has that like we have that. We exist to partner together to reach that here small thing first before we can ever reach something bigger. Bigger. What if we quit worrying about the things that we don't like or the way things we think they should be in our opinion and worried about the one thing that Jesus Christ worried about? Getting the gospel to lostness. You love that about your church. You love the partnership that there is in the gospel. That's what Paul loved about this church in Philippi. He loved the partnership, the linking together that they had together with and in The gospel. There's something else, though, he loved about this church, not just the partnership they had in the gospel, but he also loved the gospel at work in them and in him. We ought to love the gospel at work in us. Now, look at verse 6. Now, I'm just going to preface this by saying, Next week, when we get together and we look, we're going to look at just verse 6 together as we open God's Word, just verse 6. So I'm going to kind of just skim the surface, make a point from it. But next week, we're going to dig very deep into this because this is such a sweet, sweet verse, verse 6. And he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Christ. So I love you because of our partnership, but I also love you. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. What Paul is basically saying is this. Um, one of the things I love about you that I value deeply in you is that God is working on you because he's also working upon me. That God has got a purpose in you and he's He's working on you and he's getting you there. Like He's he started something in you, which is the start was the gospel when they re- received it. And he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Like he's moving you in a journey. He's moving us all in a journey. Like we're, we're like in the same thing together. Like we're walking the same road. I love you because like I'm there. Like I'm a work in progress and he's moving me along. We have to realize, church, that none of us are there yet. Amen. That none of us have it all together. Now we may dress like we do, we may talk like we do, we may sing like we do, we may do church like we do, but the truth is that God began a work in you and God's not done with that work yet. He's still got your mess to clean up and work on. He's still got sin to convict you of. He's still got problems that you've got to walk through and work through. You are not there yet. Tallest you may be, smart you may be, churchy you may be, but you aren't there yet. And guess what? Neither am I. I love that about the church because ultimately we are a bunch of people that God is working on and moving us further down the road. Let me just be really, really honest with you about something. I detest. I hate. You want to you make me miserable? Make me go to the gym. <laughs> I absolutely hate the gym. And you can look at me and say, yeah, you probably do hate the gym. You know, I can see you don't spend a lot of hours there. And so one of the reasons I hate the gym is because there's other people that really love the gym and that spend a lot of time at the gym and are really good gymites. I mean, they're like really good people in the gym. And I am so intimidated by those people when you go in. They call it gym intimidation. okay? So like, I, I mean, it just lifting weights and working out was just kind of something I was made to do. I didn't necessarily want to do in life. And so when I go, I have no clue what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how you're supposed to push things up and down. I seriously, I have gotten on machines before backwards and thought I was doing it right. And you've got all these people in the gym, like, they're ripped, like, they are cut, like, they obviously spend a lot of time in here, and they're really, really good at it. And I, like, I am so embarrassed to be around a person like that, because I obviously don't. And I'm just feeling judged the whole time I'm there, like, he's doing it wrong, look at this wuss, look at this fat guy. He would just get in here more and do this more, and I'm like, yeah, you're right, but then, ah, It's just so embarrassing and frustrating and humiliating and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do things wrong. I don't want to trip over things. I don't want to get in people's way and so forth. I mean, like, I'm not, like, so when I've been, you see some people, like, they're like grunting and grunting and grunting when they do it. And then they just drop the iron. Like, I've never done that. (laughs) Because I'm afraid if I did, everybody would laugh. Like, you drop five pounds on the ground, dude. Gym intimidation terrifies me. That's so why I'm a member of Planet Fitness. Like it's against the rules there. Yet you know, I think that uh, I think that we may have developed in the church today. Have we developed some church intimidation? Because we all do it a certain way, and we all look a certain way, we all act a certain way. We all got it together, and we're all good. I mean, we're, you know, we're 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 not perfect, but we're all right. And I wonder if the lost and dying world that deeply needs the gospel um, is a little intimidated about the people that can't admit the fact that God is still working on them and they are not there yet. Are we the guy? Are we the girl? Are we the church that everybody is intimidated by? And even though we say, you're welcome, come on, sign up. But in reality, because of the way that we live and the way that we look and the way that we act and the fact that we're not willing to admit what Paul admits here in verse 6, they don't feel welcomed and feel intimidated I have learned the hard way. I have learned the hard way of the failure of acting like you got it all together in my life of trying to be the pastor that everyone would admire, that everyone would follow. I have learned the hard way that, that I don't and I am not afraid to say anymore. I don't have it all together. That God is not done with me. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, then, well, maybe one of us isn't in the right place. He's still got some major work to do on me. In fact, honestly, if you put a picture of Jesus Christ and a picture of Robert Welch together, you are going to find some major differences. And you're probably going to find more different at this stage of my life than alike. But here's the great thing, that Jesus Christ is working on me. Like he's purposed to make me more like him. And I'm submittive and willing as much as possible and yet resistant sometimes to let him do that. Let him do that. And I just want to be honest with you. Like I'm not there. Like I'm not perfect. And I don't have it all together. But I'm going to be honest as your pastor and say, neither do you. You and I need the gospel. And that's what I love about us. That's what you ought to love about the place. That, like we're all in this boat together. We're all walking through it. And Jesus is all working on us together. I, uh, Paul loved that about Philippi. That he, that they weren't there. He wasn't there. God's working. God's getting them there. He loved the partnership. He loved the fact that they were all being worked on by the gospel. And the last thing I want you to see this morning is, is not just that is, that. is that Paul loved the grace that they all had. What do you love about your church? You ought to love the partnership of the gospel. You ought to love the gospel at work in all of us. And you also ought to love the grace that we all get. Look at verse 7. It is right. It's right for me to feel this way. It's right for me to love you. It's right for me to think about you. It's like right for me to want to be with you. It's right that I love you as a church. It's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. Like, look at the intimacy there. Like, you're in my heart. Like, we're close. Why? Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace. The word partakers is the same root word that is used here for partnership and fellowship. What Paul is saying is this one of the things I love about you is that we all need the same thing. Like our common ground, the DNA that we share. The one tradition that we have together is that we deeply need the grace of Jesus. We all eat the same thing in that. We're on the same boat, the boat of grace. Every single one of us are sinking in an ocean of sin. But God, by his love, Sent a boat named Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he ripped you out of that ocean. He puts you in that boat. And that's all you got right now, buddy. That boat's saving you. Jesus Christ is saving you from the sinking ocean of sin. And Paul's like, I'm in that boat and you're in that boat. Like, we're all in need of grace. And Paul was living it deep. I mean, he understood his deep need for grace. Paul's in a wreck right now in life. He's in a difficult spot in life. He says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul had been sitting in prison for years at this point. Stalled in life. Not able to accomplish and do what he felt like God was calling to do. And while he was there in prison, while he was there in that miserable place, he realized the deep need of God's grace in his life. That God's grace was sufficient for even a moment like that. And Paul is up against the wall. He's having to give defense of the gospel and trying to confirm and prove the gospel in people's life. And he says, man, I can't do this on my own. I realize I need the grace of God in my life. And what I love about the church and what I love about Philippi and what I love about you, First Baptist, is that you're in the same boat as me. Like you need the gospel as well because God's got a purpose in your life and things he wants to do through you. And without the grace of Jesus Christ in you, you're not going to get there. And so we're in this boat together. It's all we got. I love the fact that we're in it together because we all need it deeply. One of the most fascinating Americans, certainly of his day, but also maybe of our day as well, like just of American history, was a man by the name of Eddie Rickenbacker. Certainly the most interesting man in the world of his day. Eddie was an American pilot and when World War I came through, he, of course, became a pilot. He learned to fly, like, overnight. I mean, it wasn't something that he developed and worked on for a long time. It was like everything Eddie ever did, he was just immediately good. At it. So he goes into World War I, and he has over 26 confirmed, uh, where you shoot another plane down, where he, uh, whatever you call that, kills. Yeah, that's the word. 26 confirmed kills. Prior to and after the war, Eddie was a was also a race car driver and he um, drove in the race in the Indy 500 four times. Um, after World War I, he became a businessman and he founded Eastern Airlines. He also survived two plane crashes. But one of the most unique things about his life and really the thing that put him on the map is that one of those plane crashes that he survived... <laughs> caused him to be stranded at sea during the war for 24 days. In World War I, he and his crew were flying from Hawaii to an air base in the South Pacific when their plane crashed into the ocean. Eight crew members were left and survived 24 days in the ocean in three life rafts and a handful of chocolate bars and oranges. They had one fishing hook and a line and used it as best as they could to catch fish with that. These men were starving. These men were thirsting. and they, they were at their wit's end. Now, Eddie was certainly the most impressive of them all. But in that boat, all eight of them were just desperate men trying to survive. He tells an interesting story. Uh, they were starving. They had already eaten their oranges and their chocolate, and they were not very good at catching the fish. And one of them, they were sitting there on the boat, just stalled out, you know, just halfway dazed. And a seagull landed on his head, and he just let it sit there for a while, it slowly moved his hand up and caught it. What did he do with it? What do you think he did with it? You're on a boat for 24 days. He did exactly what you would imagine. He ate that when the other men on the boat ate that. Desperate, desperate men. But they lived. Whether you realize it or not, you and I are so much more desperate. But God provided us the cross through Jesus Christ. Out of his rich and deep grace, he gave us Jesus. And the only thing that gets us through this life, that makes something of our lives, is the saving boat the grace that we find in the cross of Jesus Christ and I need it and you need it and that's what we ought to love about each other is that we found it is that he provided it and that we can give it to others, this partnership in the gospel, this love of the gospel at work in us, and the love for the grace that we all get to share in Jesus Christ. You know what you don't find on this list that Paul lists here of what he loves about this church? You know what he doesn't say? I love this church. I love my church because they always do it my way that they meet all my preferences, that the music is the way I like it, that the message is the way I like it, that the programs that they have are the way I like it, that the temperature sure is set just right and the fellowships, and he, he doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't say, I love this because everybody's kind to me and treats me just the way I like to be treated. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I love it because this church, you, Philippi, you have never hurt my feelings like you've always been so perfect to me and I've never had a bad experience with you No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? I love you because I love the mission that we have together. I love the way that God is working in all of us. And I love the grace that we share together. This is what brings us together, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And loving the gospel of Jesus Christ in us and loving the purpose that he has from us, that's what it means to love well. The best love that you can have for your church. If you want to love your church well, love the fact that we're a partnership. Amen. Love the fact that every single one of us God is working on, and love the fact we all need the grace of God. Amen. Maybe the reason that you're not getting refreshed by your church is because you're looking for the wrong things in the wrong place, or you're looking for the right things, for the wrong reasons. Church, I think God wants to use this to make a massive impact. I think he wants us to love our city well and love the lost of this city. But we won't if we don't first love this church.